Hey, you're listening to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. My name is Andrew, and I am one of the pastors here at Mountain Park. And um, I just want you to know that our heart, the, the beating heart of our church is to provoke and ignite in you a deep hunger and longing for the presence of Jesus. There is nothing in our life that can substitute for uh, the presence of Jesus and a life lived in the reality of his presence. It's something that we need to move beyond just cognitive uh, understanding of his presence. Uh, We need to move beyond this propositional knowledge of what his presence is into a lived experiential reality of his presence. And today uh, we're in, I think, one of the last sort of introductory messages in this foundation series before we dive into spiritual gifts. And this last sort of introductory message is is super important. And honestly, we probably should have put this at the very beginning of this series. But like I said before, we're kind of backing our way into this um, and just trying to be responsive on a week-to-week basis as to what we sense the Holy Spirit calling us into. And today is on identity understanding our need to hear and know our true identity. Most of us and most followers of Jesus, I think, live primarily out of a false identity. Now, again, many of us know the right scriptures. We know Ephesians 1 and 2 and 3, and we know what the Bible says about who we are in Christ and all of those things. That's not what we're talking about here. I'm not talking about just knowing the verses that say, you know, I'm a child of God. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm no longer my own. I'm a slave to God. Uh, Those are all important and they're all good and they're all true. But we're talking about something different here. We're talking about hearing from the Holy Spirit the unique identity that he has given you, which I believe he's given you one from before the foundation of the earth. This identity is what he's calling you to live out of. And this is the identity that he's calling you to walk in his kingdom with. This is the identity he's calling you to carry on the earth today in your family, neighborhood, work, places, in church life, all of that stuff. This is the identity that he is longing for you to step into so that you can actually fully live out and express the fullness of his kingdom. You can learn how to depend on and trust the Holy Spirit's gifts and his power in your life because you're rooted so deeply in the identity of um, the Father for you. And so that's what we're um, diving into today. I know some of the language that I'm gonna use, even that language of true identity, false identity, may be new for a lot of you. Don't give up on it. A number of years ago, this was these were just totally new ways for me to even think about spiritual life, um, my life with Christ but I've been growing in them. And that's what God wants to do in your life too. He wants to um, probably teach you or deposit a few things through this message into your heart. But these are things that you must live into. Again, this is not propositional head knowledge. You know the verses already that talk about who you are in Christ, most likely. Maybe you don't, but 
Um, you know those, and some of you can even quote them, but they are not bringing transformation to your life because you're not actually living in them. And so I wanna just encourage you, challenge you with that. Before we step into operating in the gifts of the Spirit, we have to have a right um, perspective and understanding of who we are and how God has called us to operate in His kingdom uniquely. Here we go. This is the next week in our foundation series. Today we're talking about identity. What I wanted to talk with you about today is in one hand very simple and another hand very complex. And the reason is because this cannot be learned as propositional information. You, this has to be lived out and experienced in uh, kind of in the trenches of our life. Through the course of this lead up to the spiritual gifts, we've kind of been trying to lay this foundation. That's why we've called this series Foundations. We've tried to lay this foundation of the active work of the Spirit in all these different areas of our life. So when it comes to spiritual gifts, um, I think there's a reason why, and this has happened throughout history, but there's a reason why we're seeing so many high-profile leaders and ministries just implode. And the reason is, number one, they're relying on human gifts, charisma. In our, in our Western church, we valued the, the charisma of a leader over the spiritual authority and anointing of a leader. We've, we've, we've valued their ability to gather large crowds over their ability to walk in the Spirit. We've exchanged, and we need to repent as a, a church, a broader church. I do, you do. We've exchanged leadership charisma and the ability to be a, a, like a compelling orator and a powerful personality, we've exchanged that. And we've given up spiritual authority. There's a reason why our Western church, American and Canadian, is void of spiritual authority. Did you know, this is just my personal opinion, informed by a bit of conversation with people outside of of our church here. The, our, our, the Western church is no longer the seat of spiritual life and authority on the earth. We aren't. Like you should see what God is doing outside of North America. We're, we're fighting and talking and obsessing over things that the rest of the world is not. And we've exchanged celebrity culture We've exchanged a whole bunch of stuff. We've exchanged a narcissistic, selfish view of spiritual gifts to build our own identities and brands and big churches and big organizations. We've exchanged that for the place of spiritual authority and power on the earth. That's why the American and Canadian church is virtually impotent because it's not filled with men and women who are actually walking in kingdom authority and power. And that has nothing to do with what we do on a Sunday morning. 
and everything to do with your ability to walk in step with the Spirit. That's why, so as we've been building up to these gifts, that's why we've talked about the reality that we're in a spiritual war, that the natural world and the spiritual world are intertwined. We talked about that weeks ago, that your natural life is not just natural. The, the ingredients that make up your everyday life are not just human, material, natural ingredients. There is a spiritual reality going on all around us. And in Genesis 3, when we decided to come out from under the leadership of God because we were afraid to trust him, we were afraid that there were things we didn't know about the future that we needed to somehow know, the knowledge of good and evil. What we did is we exchanged then and transferred the seat of power and authority on the earth from the kingdom of God to the kingdom of darkness. So there, there's this idea that we, there's a tension in scripture, right? So scripture affirms the whole earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But this earth is under, right now, it's under the domain of Satan. And Jesus acknowledges this in the desert when he's being tempted. When Satan says, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world, Jesus doesn't say, no, they're not yours. He doesn't say that. So there's been a transfer of spiritual power and authority from God's kingdom to the kingdom of darkness. Jesus, when he came, did not just come only, he did, of course, but not only to save you when you die. That's a a part of it, obviously, an essential part. 1 John 3, 8, he came to destroy the work of the enemy. Jesus, the good news of the gospel is the kingdom in all of its fullness is available for you and I right now in our life. So yes, our world is under siege spiritually. But we don't fight as other humans do. We don't use the weapons of human warfare. We don't use power. We don't need power. We don't need political power. We don't need military power. We don't need any of that. But again, the church has forgotten this. We've forgotten this. There's power in your prayer life, whether you know it or not. The sad thing is we don't realize it. And so we stop and we give up. I do. That's where the real place of power and authority lies. Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. The good news of the gospel is that kingdom is available. All of it. For your life right now for your neighbors, for your workplace. That's one of the foundations. And the Holy Spirit wants to work in all of these places. And we talked about the, the reality that the beginning place of the work of the Spirit is in our inner being, in our heart, in our character. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Pastor Brenda talked about this. Right? Again, I, one of the reasons, not the only one, one of the reasons that so many big profile Christian leaders are falling is because they're operating in areas that their character can't sustain. 
They're leading these global church empires. <laughs> and that's not, I'm not exaggerating. That's what they are. But they're leading them from a place of deficiency in character. And they're crashing and burning. And so the work of the Spirit in us first needs to be, uh, needs to come to fruition in our character. That's why we talked about that. A person that operates in the power of the gifts of God without the work of the Spirit in the character of God is dangerous. And we've seen that. You've seen it. I've seen it. And God is still gracious and he still uses people. And we talked about walking in step with the Spirit. There's two things that you need to walk in step with the Spirit. One direction and two pace. Read Galatians 5. That'll give you the direction. The Spirit is not going in these areas of anger and power and jealousy and lust and selfish ambition and those. He's not walking in those directions. But as well, if we're not, um, if we're not walking in pace with the Spirit, we're going to miss His work in our life too. And for most of us, that means we need to slow down. We need to actually surrender our our compulsion, especially in our culture, to get stuff done today and make the plan, execute the plan, and move on. We actually need to be way, way, way more patient. There's a Japanese theologian who has a book called The Five-Mile-An-Hour God. He talks about how Jesus walked everywhere intentionally. God moves very slowly until he doesn't. Right? So he, he moves very, very slowly, and then just in an instant, boom, he'll do something. But so often we're 100 miles ahead of him, and we miss the activity of the Spirit because we're impatient. And we want to use spiritual gifts to kind of get the ball rolling. <laughs> Come on, let's get some stuff done here. And that's not a right way to use spiritual gifts. So it's not right for spiritual gifts to boost our ego and affirm in us all of the dysfunctional things, our need for attention, our need uh, to cover insecurity, our need for whatever it is. We talked about love last week. And today I just, my time is up already. See, I, I blew it in the intro. Um, Today, I want to leave you one thought about identity. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder what would be possible with you and I in the kingdom if we really knew, if we clearly understood our identity in Christ. Because when you're sure about your identity, about who God is, there's two components to our identity, who God is and who we are. When you really know God and you've developed intimacy with him and he's speaking to you about who you are, not what you do, but who you are, that is the beginning of the place of authority and power spiritually because you're not being driven by the voices around. You're not being driven by what's going on in the world or the voices. Let, let me just stop talking and let's go to Matthew 3. I just, I'm going to read a couple scriptures and then um, we'll be out of here. 
at some divinely appointed time. Marcus smirking. <laughs> All right, Matthew 3. And I'm going to pick that up in whatever the verse is because I refuse to wear reading glasses at this point, so I can't even read the verse number. But after his baptism, I can read that part. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. Okay, so just a simple thought. Before Jesus is released into ministry, which required the gifts of the Spirit, that's how Jesus operated, with the same gifts of the Spirit that are given to us, to the church, okay? Before he's released into ministry, he hears the word of the Father about who he is, his identity, okay? So watch what happens. Luckily, it's like the next few verses. Chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The wilderness is not a place of defeat, actually. When he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, what does he say? If you are the son of God, what is he doing? He goes right for identity. This is what the father, do you think that you heard God say this about you? You think that's what the father said about you? No, you're not. What did he challenge? The very first challenge of Satan to Jesus is over his identity. Who do you think you are? You really think the father would send you you really think you're the son of God? You really think he loves you after all you've done? Those are the kinds of things the enemy says to us. He always is looking to undermine us in this essential place of our life, which is our identity. So he's always going to challenge our identity. Fast forward, Matthew 16. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Matthew 16. Jesus has now been in ministry for a while. And um, he's been uh, healing people, setting people free, doing all kinds of things. And he's in a ministry moment. And there's a challenge again. And he's asking now in Matthew 16, actually back up to Matthew, I think it's 11, sorry, or 13. Hold on, I didn't write that one down. Oh yeah, Matthew 13, sorry. Jesus is in ministry mode. He's telling stories, illustrations. He's healing people, casting out demons, all kinds of stuff. Then he goes back home to Nazareth his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where did he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? Look at this. And then what happens? Then they scoffed. Then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. We know his mom. We know his brothers. What do they do? 
He's in the middle of ministry. And what do people do? They go right back to his childhood. We know you. They attack Jesus's identity and they poke at the things in his childhood that could have been wounds and trauma from his childhood. What we forget often is it's very unlikely that Jesus was not ridiculed and his family ostracized growing up because of the shame of his mother giving birth out of wedlock. Or think about Jesus. Just think about your own siblings. <laughs> when you're like, you know, oh, God has called me to do this. And, you know, and they're like, get out of here. You're a loser or you're whatever. I never had siblings like that. But Jesus' own brothers and sisters didn't believe who he was. And the enemy comes right back now to childhood and says, there's no way. There's no way. And they, they actually begin to dig at areas in Jesus's life that could have been areas of wounding and areas of trauma. What they're looking for is for Jesus to respond out of what some people, psychologists, spiritual leaders call the false self. And we all have one. And the false self are those primarily there are areas of trauma and wounding that we experienced as children that then begin to influence how we think, how we respond, how we, how we react in our adulthood. And many of us, and you could scoff at me if you want, many of us as adults are living in the reality of our childhood trauma. Many of you have struggled with addictive patterns. And actually the root of that goes back to stuff that happened to you in your home growing up. It's called the false self. There's other definitions for it. But what they're poking at is to see if they can get a, a, a line on Jesus to respond out of his false self, out of insecurity out of a need to protect and defend himself because of what he heard growing up in his home, because he probably heard disparaging words about himself, because he probably heard people ridicule him for his claims. Even his own family was not a safe place for him growing up. There's a list of things that um, I have for you just to look at as it relates to the false self. And uh, if you could throw that up, Hayden, appreciate it. These are the things that comprise, and there's other things, but I just, I just came up with this list. These are the sources of our false self. Our desires. Gender. Wealth, poverty, appearance, our body, failure, trauma, singleness, marriage, career, occupation. Your career is not your identity. Can I just say this so as gently as I can? With is, I, I'm not saying this with malice 
or with any, even like an ounce of anger or frustration, your gender or your human sexuality has nothing to do with your identity. I recognize even in saying that, it's like shot across the bow because we've been conditioned in our culture and they've done it very intentionally. Our world has done this very intentionally to conflate sexual desire with identity. And I just want to say very gently, that is not scriptural. It's not part of the kingdom. And in fact, it was not even just Christians, but globally for thousands of years, there was no connection between identity and sexuality, desire, sexual preference, gender, any of that. The enemy has done an amazing job to conflate the two together. And many people are living out of a false sense of identity that's tied to human sexuality and desire. And that's not your identity. It's not. I don't say that again. I'm not saying that out of a, uh, an avarice towards you or any kind of judgment or anger or anything. I'm saying that with deep heartbreak and compassion because our world is imploding in on itself because we've rooted identity in things that God never intended it to be. Some of you derive your identity from your career. Some of you have taken your identity from the things that you struggle with in addiction or patterns of sin. In the church, we've mistaken spiritual gifts with identity. If you have a gift of prophecy, your identity is not that you're a prophet. That's not your identity. You could be operating in the prophetic, but that's still not your identity. It's a gift that the Holy Spirit has given you to use, but that's not your identity. Fear, guilt, and shame are sources of false identity. Ethnicity and color are not even sources of identity from a kingdom perspective. They're important. And God has no, like, this idea that, oh, when we get to heaven, he's just going to make this homogeneous, like, we're all the same. No, we're not. We're actually going to celebrate. We are going to celebrate. It says that every kingdom will bring into the, the, uh, into the gates of the city of God the best of their culture and the best of who they are. He's not going to erase it, but that at the basis of our life is not identity. Your mistakes and regrets are not your identity. The desire for influence and social media stuff is not your identity, but yet these often are the things that we base our value and our worth and our life out of. Some of these are the things that you're trying to serve Jesus with, but they're not your identity. And Jesus gets challenged. Oh, just read the Gospels. Over and over, he gets challenged with identity. Matthew 16, I'm almost done. Matthew 16. Whatever the verse is, because I still can't read it. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Again, identity question. Who do you think I am? Well, they replied, 
Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you're blessed, Simon, son of John. Now get this, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you, you did not learn it from any human. Your identity, my identity, can only come through revelation from the Father. So what's the pathway? Know the Father, walk in intimacy with him, and he'll begin to speak to you about who you are. It has nothing to do with where you're working, has nothing to do with your patterns of failure and sin, has nothing to do with what you're good at and all of those things. He's got a name and an identity for you from his very heart that he wants you, he wants to liberate you to begin walking in it. And then what he's going to do is he's going to give you gifts from his kingdom, from the spirit, spiritual gifts to empower you to carry out your divine calling and assignment from heaven. So know the father first. You cannot know your identity outside of knowledge of God. And not knowledge of God, again, as a prepositional thing, but intimacy with him. The word knowledge in scripture is much deeper than our Greco-Roman sort of intellectualizing of it. It means to fully experience the reality of something. So many of us live on this false identity, but there is a true identity. And I just, I came up with my own definition. There's others that people have, but this is what I believe is the source of true identity, the truth of who God is. So knowing God and how he feels about you, and the unique purpose and calling he has given you. But his identity is not just for us to navel gaze and feel good about ourselves. It's not Christian therapeutic kind of practice. It's not to, um, it's not to teach you to kind of be your best you and all of that stuff. His identity for you is in order to bring his kingdom to earth for his glory and the good of others. The very heart of God, the unique identity that he's given you is actually to be an expression of and an outpouring of his kingdom on the earth. And so much of our life, we don't actually walk in our identity, the truth of who we are. And so we play in these, these garbage dumps of false identity. And we wonder why our spiritual life is anemic and we're struggling and we don't, we don't, there's no spark in our life and we've just lost hope and we wonder why we can't break these patterns of sin. It's because we're not walking in the truth of who we are. One last thought here. Even John the Baptist struggled with his identity. You know, in John 1, 21, the Pharisees come to him and they say, who are you? Like, <laughs> who's given you this authority? And they ask John the Baptist, are you the Messiah? And he says, no. And then they ask him, are you Ezekiel? Because Ezekiel in scripture from 
the Old Testament, Ezekiel preceded the coming of the Messiah. And John the Baptist says, no, I'm not him. But listen to this. This is what Jesus says of John the Baptist in Matthew 11. I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. John was the greatest of the prophets before. And from the time of John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. For before John came, all the prophets and the law of Moses looked forward to this present time. And if you are willing, so here's what Jesus says about the true identity of John that even John didn't recognize about himself. If you're willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah. There is a divine calling on your life. There's a, I, I actually think there is a name that God has given you. Revelation talks about it, actually, that you've been given a name by God that no one else knows. You've been given a unique identity and purpose. And even John was struggling at the beginning of that passage, we didn't have time to read it, but he's sitting in prison and he's questioning everything. He's like, are you really the Messiah, Jesus? Because I'm struggling now. Like nothing, nothing is working out the way I thought it was going to. And John is struggling with his identity. But Jesus knows who he is. And he says, if you're willing to accept it, he's Elijah. And there's a call on your life from the very throne room of God. And hearing him articulate to you, this is who you are. I've been actually for a few months sitting in this and for myself asking him, God, who am I? Who, who am I? I know what I'm good at. I know I'm supposed to be pastoring, but pastoring a church isn't my identity. Operating in spiritual gifts isn't my identity. Who am I? What is the name that you've given me? I'm not going to tell you right now because I'm still sorting things out. But he's been speaking to me about this is who you are. And this is what I've put in you to do. And it has nothing to do with where you live and where you work and what you're doing. You can take this identity from me and you can move it across to India or Africa or Europe. You can take this and bring it to any place. You can take this to your neighborhood. And if you're walking in the truth of who I say you are and the kingdom of God is flowing through you, the kingdom of heaven will be present. You can take this into your home and into your marriage and into your family, into your workplace. The question is, do you know what the Father says about you? Do you know the Father even? Before we get to talk about spiritual gifts and the release of kingdom power, I just, I feel so strongly he wants to begin to bring you on a journey of you understanding this is who you are, Father, and this is who I am. And I'm going to keep coming back to this and beating this like a Rented mule is the only com. I, I don't know why that just came to my mind, but it seems pretty derogatory. Um, the place you find this is the place of uncontested attention. This is not, you don't get a book and uh, 
you know, take a course on how to find this out. You just start giving Jesus undivided attention. I don't really care at this point how you do it. Start giving him your attention. Stop talking and listen. Begin to bring yourself into his presence and say, Father, who am I? Because it's not connected to your sexuality, your desires, your failures, your trauma, the stuff that's happened to you, which for some of you is horrible and horrific. Jesus wants to redeem that and to release you into his kingdom power and authority. I want to leave you with this quote from William Wilberforce. And uh, William Wilberforce, in case you didn't know, was the British parliamentarian who initiated the end of slavery in Britain. And he said this, God Almighty has set before me two great objects, the suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of manners. In modern English, that's like cultural transformation. 20 words that defined his life and made a bigger impact on the earth than few people before him or since. So here's my challenge to you. What are the words that God is speaking to you? What are those 20 words that he has for you in your life? They're not your work. They're not your occupation. They're not any of these things. What has he put you here to do? I want to call you to take some time with that. I'm going to leave you with one last thing. Thank you for being so patient with us today. Just a, a, a very simple roadmap for how we do this. And uh, this pathway, um, we could spend a whole week talking about this, but Hayden, if you could throw up that one last, yes. So where do we begin then? And again, this I can't just, you got to do this, actually, and you got to hear from the Spirit yourself. But you begin in that place of false identity. Here's the question, and I want to encourage you. I wish we had time now to ask, but I want to encourage you this week, very simply, if you do nothing else, to start, get some time alone with God and say, Holy Spirit, what is the largest or most problematic? Brenda, what was the word you used for that, problematic? What is the largest or most problematic lie that I'm believing about myself or about you that you want to bring into the light? What is, what is it? And there's maybe many, but he's going to start where he wants to start. So start with that place. What am I believing about God or about myself or others around me? What's the biggest one that's a hindrance to me? And just listen. Then you move on to what's real. And this is confession. What's real is just admitting to yourself and to God, admitting what's actually true and real. It's telling the truth. And it's admitting and confession aren't just about saying, you know, the laundry list of what you've done. That would be a baseline starting point. Confession is saying, this is why I've been doing it. This is what's been going on in my heart. So, you know, it's not just about, oh, I looked at pornography or whatever it was. 
No, no, no. Confession is here's what was driving me to this place. Here's what's actually going on on a deeper level, and I'm willing to admit it. Some of these are the hardest to admit, the hardest to come to terms with. And a lot of these then begin to reveal areas of insecurity and defensiveness in our lives. So confess what is true and what is real. This is just the real me, God. And then last one, repentance, is changing the way we think about God. And now this is where we say, but this is what you say about me. This is what's true from your perspective, God. So I'm going to declare what's true of my life in place of that false identity and the reality of what I've been living in. I can send this to anybody who wants it, but this is where I would encourage you to begin and to start. This is part of what we're going to be talking about in our Soul Care Conference weekend that's coming up. I, I just want to challenge you, especially men, because I know maybe some of you, I've been there, are sitting there going, I don't need that. So just a super gentle but very honest confrontation. If you're sitting here going, I don't need that, you're probably precisely the person who needs to be there. <laughs> there is stuff, men and women alike, we operate out of the brokenness, the trauma, and the hurt, and the false identity. And there's so much carnage in the life of the church because we're not actually willing to sit with Jesus and this stuff. One of the greatest tragedies of our modern Protestant movement is we've disembodied faith from our real life. It's actually something that Catholic Christians do very well. They live in embodied faith. Your body is not evil. It's actually made by God for a purpose. It's good. He loves it. And your faith is not just some spiritual, ethereal thing. It's meant to be brought into your body, into your relationships, and into your life. And this is a place where we can start to embody the kingdom. The good news is it's available for you. Let's stand together. Yeah, so Holy Spirit, I recognize my words bring no transformation. But I'm so thankful that you are present with and walking with each person here. You're walking out of the doors of this building with them into their real life, quote unquote. And I'm just asking as their friend that you would begin to stir these things in their heart and in their life. Father, that your kingdom would come in our marriages and families and workplaces and schools. Not just on a Sunday morning during the service, but that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Hey, before we leave, one more thing. Sorry. It's, it's always short. Kevin and Megan, can you guys come? I almost forgot. Kevin and Megan uh, were part of this church for a while. They moved to the Yukon 
um, last year, right? Just like a year ago, or just over a year, right? And I just had the privilege of marrying them yesterday. They're flying back to the Yukon. And um, I told them not to come this morning. Who comes to church the day after they get married? But they just, they were the first ones in the parking lot, basically. <laughs> so let's just pray a blessing over them as a family here. If you want to just extend a hand, you can. There's nothing magical about that. That's just a sign of agreement. But Father, we just pray your, the fullness of your blessing in your life over Kevin and Megan. I just, again, Father, I just command your blessing over their marriage and over their home, their work environment, their relational life, every part of it. I just ask even uh, in these days that they're here in Ontario, that you would fill them with wonder and joy, remind them of the blessing of their friends and family. Um, I just ask as they head back to Yukon, that you would begin to speak to them about who they really are. Even in the Yukon, God, that's not too far away for you to move. And so we just ask that you would um, just begin to the, release them in your kingdom anointing and power through the identity that you've given them to bring your kingdom to bear and their areas of influence in the Yukon. Father, in their places of work, would your kingdom come would you use them in power, Father? Pray your blessing on them in Jesus' name. Amen.